This week, the Road to Cinema podcast talks with Ben and Alex Brewer on making the Justin Bieber music video, Where Are You Now? We'll also take a look at the process of developing and pitching music video concepts for artists and the transition into directing their very first feature film, The Trust, starring Nicolas Cage and Elijah Wood. This gritty noir heist film is now available to watch on Netflix and to rent on other on-demand platforms. It's a detailed conversation on the day-to-day process of being a working director and how they collaborate with a crew, both creatively and logistically. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch a Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Jog Road Productions YouTube channel to watch our interviews with Don Cheadle, Greta Gerwig, Moon Zappa, and Saul Rubinek, discussing his experiences working with Clint Eastwood on Unforgiven. Follow us on Twitter, at Jog Road, Instagram, at Jog Road Productions, like our Jog Road Productions Facebook page. And don't forget to write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page for the Road to Cinema podcast. And press that subscribe button to get an instant download of each week's episode. And now we join directors Ben and Alex Brewer as we take a look inside the making of the Justin Bieber music video, Where Are You Now? I thought to get started, we could talk a little about your music videos. Uh, two of my favorites are Passion Pit Carried Away and also the one you did for Justin Bieber, Where Are You Now? And both of those are very different. You know, Where Are You Now is very conceptual, whereas Carried Away has much more of a narrative thrust to it. So I was just curious how you guys develop your ideas for music videos and how they kind of differ in certain ways depending on the song. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying the nice, uh, nice words about me. Yeah. It's, um, the passion bit one, it's funny. I, I think, um, you know, that the, the idea there was that we were, um, we've been making videos, uh, for a lot of like kind of like indie groups and they're sort of dark, um, like conceptually and maybe even <laughs> physically dark, but, um, and so we sort of like had this idea like, okay, well, whatever we do next, we should try to make it a little bit more of a, because like, you know, you're trying to get by as a, as a working, you know? So we were like, okay, well, this passion pit video is a good, a good opportunity to make something that's got, you know, a more of a, a commercial appeal with all these like fun vignettes. But Michael wanted to, the guy, the lead singer of passion pit, the sort of mastermind of passion pit, uh, he, he wanted it to be, uh, you know, for him, the song was dark in, in tone and it was about, um, you know, something that was, uh, uh, not as light as the song sounded. So that's where we kind of got the idea of like exploring a relationship in this fun way, but like kind of having it be like a reflection of realities. And, and, but that, but the idea behind that one was just to make something that would help us get work. And, and it did, we ended up getting a couple of jobs, like because it was uh, sort of fun and buoyant. And then um, the Bieber video, so we made that after we shot our film. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, the music video world, I feel like it shifts in these different directions. So like, I would say like four or five years ago, which isn't that long, obviously, but four or five years ago, I'd say that there was like, 
more more like little stories being told or, or you know like more narrative stuff and then I think that maybe that's kind of run its course a little bit or it just doesn't feel quite as so then with the Bieber one they uh, the Jack U people and him wanted to do something that had like a public element um, and they didn't quite know what and so uh, yeah we just sort of thought well what if you let people kind of graffiti on him and the idea would be that like oh you, you know you're so used to seeing this uh, this guy uh, sort of um, uh, I guess in the context of certain uh, of, of what he's doing you're so used to seeing him kind of doing his thing so what if you just put him against a neutral background and kind of denuded him of his usual shtick and what would people draw on him would they write on him you know and and the kind of yeah that one was that one was more inspired by the singer than than the because people uh opinions of this guy knowing him you know there's a huge spectrum of how people perceive him so creating this venue where people could express express that kind of on the blank canvas that is you know any performer so all of the uh all of the people that came in that were in the video that were painting so they had just been kind of randomly invited in and just told you know draw whatever you think you know might be appropriate in a way yeah we, we actually didn't tell we didn't tell anyone what to do and it was it ended up being like i thought that it was going to just be like dick central like i just thought <laughs> and doing whatever they wanted. 
and also the the power of those those guys. Uh, so it's the the it was Diplo, Skrillex, and then Justin Bieber was the guest, you know, the featured artist, and. We, they, they didn't make any announcement about the event, and we were sweating it. We were like, you have to have them start tweeting about it. You got to let them know it's happening. And the day, uh, so it was going to be a three-day thing over in this gallery, and the day happened, it, we were opening at 6 o'clock, I think. That was that point the first half. Diplo tweeted a picture of the door at 3 and like, and I think some some address, and we had a line around the block by six. Wow. So it was like it was a I had no idea. And then I remember <laughs> we were talking to um, um, some of Justin's people. We're like, well, you should let him, you know, you know, you should have him tweet it out. And they're like, oh no, there'll be a riot. Like you can't, <laughs> <laughs> like you can't tell people if anyone thinks he's he might if or if they hear that he's actually physically there like they act it actually does cause like a state of emergency yeah was he watching at all of, as people were were participating in this he um no it's funny like i it's it's the funny thing about the music video world and i guess the world in general is that you like you end up when they work, when they turn out well, it's like everybody is your best friend, or you know, it's like uh, was it success has a million fathers, fathers and failure has one. Well, probably not a million fathers. But success parents. has many fathers. I believe it's many parents and parents. Yeah, that's failure has that's one. More. Yeah, so I think in that in this case it was like a little bit of that where like, you know, they weren't like we should him for a day and he and he and he knew the concept and liked it and thought it was gonna be cool. And then we had a really hard time kind of getting the artists, the three of them, to like come to the gallery or like talk about it more than just like a, a and then I think finally like we actually started getting a trickle where like, you know, Saturday we had there was a point where we only had like 10 people in the gallery and i was like this is insane like this place should be like a madhouse and there was talk of like having like the jack you guys like come and dj at night and get things back going and then none of none of that happened because they just they couldn't be bothered um and so then i think they they sent out i think justin tweeted about it like saturday night and then sunday we had like another like surge but yeah in general i think that if it creates the illusion that everybody was really artistically invested in what we were doing, that's great. But like, it was, I mean, the, the video ended up being like, you know, uh, uh, I, I think we even did had to do an additional day of inviting artists we had met at the gallery to come finish the last, like, you know, 30 frames or something. Yeah. Cause it, we didn't even hit, we got close, but we didn't quite hit the goal. All the frames we needed. But of yeah, course, we, we ended up uh, uh, doing some and getting a bunch of our friends to, to do it too. So, but if they had, if those guys had been more active in it, we would have, you know, been able to do a friggin' feature film of. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious how you guys developed as a directing team because, you know, people are always curious sort of how, you know, people, other, you know, other teams like the Coen brothers or, uh, you know, how two directors can really come together and have a consensus. Uh, did you guys always have 
sort of a way of working where you almost had one brain or you almost sort of had a, a consensus in how you wanted to execute things? Um, I think it, uh, it helps. I mean, it's not, it's not like we see, we just naturally see eye to eye on everything. Um, but I think it helps, uh, you know, focus us in our like preparation and our, you know, the, the pre-production process. Like basically we have to, um, get on the same page between the two of us before we even, you know, uh, give a direction to anyone else. Um, which I think is, is a great way of kind of, you know, hashing out ideas and making decisions. Um, and so then we get on the same page and we figure out our plan, but it, you know, it, it helps, it helps us stay organized, which is really important. And also, I mean, we, our writing process is like very much a, we, we kind of fight about things and that's how you, that's how we figure out you know, um, our characters and our stories and like, and, and I think that I, like, I actually have a hard time imagining people creating work that they're really feel like they can kick the tires on and have it be fine without someone that is either your check for, you know, and, and I think we're that for both, we're, we're both that for each other you know, especially when it comes to anything having to do with, like, character or theme or structure, like, some of these things that, like, you know, if you're, you know, at a certain point in your script and you're, and you're lost, you, you know it's because those things have, haven't been properly paid attention to in the, to the degree that they should be. So sometimes you even think you're paying attention to it, and then you realize that there's a, a even greater degree, and that's where I think a partnership is, like, essential um, and then directing it, obviously you're executing this thing that you, that you worked out together for, you know, a year or more. Um, and, um, what happens that we do have very similar taste when it to feature films, like we, we have, yeah, we have this, you know, the, the things we have the, the same goals where it counts, you know? Yeah, I was curious, uh, you know, transitioning from doing so many music videos and then into doing The Trust, which was your first feature. Uh, was this a concept that you guys had been uh, kicking around for a while? Was this something that you had really been thinking about as far as being your first film? I No, I mean, <laughs> I, I guess we, um, yeah, we, we were, and this is something that I kind of, I've realized only now having you know been through because we've probably been doing the sort of like directing thing whether it's music videos or whatever for six years i would say um uh and you know that's kind of like when we started um uh getting hired but um what you realize is that you kind of you get into this this mode of kind of like jumping from stone to stone where you really want to be working and, and you really want to, because you're, you're also afraid of, of, of getting to a point where you, you know, just got to start driving for Uber, you know, like that's like kind of your, your main thing is like that, is that, is there a way to do this and not need uh, to succumb to the nine to five? So when you're, when you're doing music videos, you're kind of like, you're trying to book the next one and you're coming up with ideas and you're like, you're just pitching. And so then the, this film, the trust happened kind of within the vacuum of not booking that kind of work. Um, 
you know, and, and the nature of music videos and sort of the commercials we do, it's like they, like we've never done like some crazy, like, you know, uh, big budget thing. Like, you know, we like, it's very much, we kind of live check to check. So it wasn't like, we're like, Oh, let's go, you know, work on a passion project for a year. Like we, we were like, what, like, what can we be doing right now? And so we started writing the script and it honestly came from like these like now I'm, I'm like kind of embarrassing reasons of like being like, well, like what kind of feature would someone let us make? Like, like, you know, everyone says you can finance like a cop movie. Well, what's our version of a cop movie? What is, is there anything interesting about police? And of course, like at that time, there was like a million and, and increasingly so. There's a lot that's interesting about uh, police and the psychology and corruption. And then it like the evolution of it like was it was not born, I think, of some passionate place. It was born of probably, like, it was probably wrong-headed where it all started, but now, like, in retrospect, you're like, oh, I kind of, like, I get why it's important not to let your decisions be dictated by just trying to, like, keep going and keep having another thing. And, like, and so, so I watch the trust, I think. I know that this kind of, like, would anyone even let us make a movie and and the answer ended up being yes, but like at the time it was kind of like, can you write some? Can we write something from where we're at in the industry and actually get someone to help to put some money into it because it doesn't seem like a bad investment? Um, and then from that point going forward, you of course develop it and and you know we kind of like learned how to write basically and like yeah. and found you know all the stuff that we like about it in there but initially it wasn't it, it became much more of that passion project after it had been greenlit basically <laughs> <laughs> um. oh, did you guys uh i mean were you were i uh actually had interviewed uh braxton pope a while back and i think at oh, the time he may have been uh working on the trust with you guys so i was curious did you develop the script a lot with him did you kind of bounce ideas i remember calling him in the driveway and i honestly like this it, like it started with you know thinking about because he did obviously you know he he did our passion bit video with us and that's when that was the first thing we did together and he was, and you know, and we knew that he did features, and he was very open about like, well, if you have a script or a movie you want to make, let me know. And we, and I, I think at the time we did, and it wasn't anything he was interested in. So then we were like, well, what can we get him interested in doing? Um, and so I remember standing in the driveway, being like, okay, well, what if we did like a crime thing, and we did it for like less than a million dollars, and just like, you know, tried to make like, uh, try to apply some of the things that we we do in our music videos to this thing and he was skeptical at first because he's like well there's like you know the tv space is like loaded with cop drama cop shows so finding an original take on it is like very difficult and i think in the end like where we started in terms of talking about it with like aesthetics and stuff like i, I think you know like movies like killing them softly bounced around and then eventually that evolved to fargo bounced around and then like you know, in the in the end, I, like I remember we were on set and like, cause you know, cause we evolved it and Alex and I evolved it in the direction of like what's actually truly our own taste, which is which is you know, probably more in the line of like comedy or just kind of observational, you know, humor. humor. And so I remember being on set and I think it like finally occurred to Braxton that like we weren't making you know uh, anything that was like 
And then he came up, and he's like, is this a caper? Braxton, like, <laughs> it might be a caper. <laughs> Sorry, dude. But yeah, so um, early on, I would say we were like all kind of like thinking about it in this like hypothetical way. But then as we, after we got Nicolas Cage in the movie, like on board, the process that happened after that was like pretty much between Alex and I. And then we, well, also the, I mean, the original idea was to make something really small, really, really, uh, really uh, realistic, uh, as realistic as possible, trying to show how you, you might pull off a, a heist in the real world. Um, and then, but then once Nicolas Cage came on board and the budget grew and suddenly we realized we had this real, uh, uh, incredible opportunity uh to work with this actor and to to make you know kind of the movie that we that our ideal version of the film um that's when we started to rethink things and and there was like there was so much rewriting i mean it was almost like like baby's first movie like i can't like i feel like braxton probably had to like read like so many fucking drafts of part of my French, so many drafts of it that he probably just like i know she was like what are these guys even doing like you know um so, uh, yeah, but he was, I mean, he's the reason why the movie got made, so, yeah. uh, and, and his taste is, like, is, is very high, so you, like, even though we started making something that maybe wasn't exactly his initial, or any of our initial thought of what it was going to be, he, like, stuck with it and, and really understood, you know, and understood what was cool about it, and, uh, and so that was good. Yeah, I was curious, um, you talked a lot about pitching for music videos, and I was curious, you know, what is the difference for you guys pitching for a music video to an artist versus pitching to, like, let's say, trying to get Nicolas Cage to be in your film and, you know, sort of giving him that air of confidence? Well, I think that, um, well, the, uh, the, the Nicolas Cage one was different that it actually happened in person right you know he, he read the script and was interested in, and looked at our music video work but then we actually went to lunch with him and were able to kind of you know uh seal the deal uh you know uh t you know telling him in person our plan uh whereas music videos you know you, you basically make your treatment um uh, which is text and images explaining what you want to do. You email that in to the label or the artist people. They relay that artist. And but you know, usually you don't end up actually like communicating with the artist until you're like on set or you know, if at all. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. So you, it's really kind of uh, you're really kind of detached from the artist when you're when you're pitching in a way. For music yeah, videos, and it varies. Like you know, we did a Foster the People uh, video where we we had a meeting with them uh, like uh, in advance, and he and then and then the the lead guy Mark like immediately was like got our numbers and started texting. Yeah, and and Michael Angelakis was the same thing. He was very much involved. Yeah, and we're still uh, we're still friends with him, and and yeah. So, but it really does vary. Um, you know, I think one thing with musicians, and, and this is this is why I, I think there's actors out there that are, are probably, um, you know, problematic in person in their personality. We haven't dealt with any or met any, but like the one thing is like musicians, you know, they kind of are like a walking brand, you know, where we're sort of the 
the scale of what they're doing is around them at all times. Like, because they're playing concerts or they're looking at album sales or whatever. Whereas, like, when I think of actors, like, it's all the sort of the sort of aggrandizing of the process happens like when they're not around. So it's like the people who are putting the financing together and are ripping each other's throats out, or you know, and and, and it's you know, we're t- you're talking about millions of dollars, right? And then it's the when the movie comes out, it's you know the playing in the multiplex on the big screen or the you know the billboards down Sunset Boulevard. But like what the, the part that the act, the actor is actually involved in is like the make believe in front of like a box that records it thing. And I think that like and and I think that's great. Like I think it's good that that actors at least have the opportunity to to preserve the magic. Uh, if they really want to, like, they don't have to be like part of the brand conscious aspect of this. Yeah, I mean, obviously, actors become producers, and that's very common. But like, and so, like, I think, like, meeting with someone like Nick, like, you just sit and you talk about movies, and you talk about like, like, like films you love and performances you love, and then when you're making the movie, you're like, it's just about these characters and this thing and ideas, and so it's like. And, and as the director, you're so cognizant of the giant machine that had to move to make this very moment happen. But in the moment, you're like sitting, you're, you know, you're in a garage with Nicolas Cage and Elijah Wood and your camera, and you're talking about the scene, and you're like, oh, this is like, it's amazing that we have anything in our culture that is like all this nonsense just to bring us to this like one very like pure, simple thing. Um, uh, which is which is you know drama theater performance. Um, so I think that's a big difference too. Is that you're just like actors are like the best actors I think are people who like seem blissfully unaware of like the the you know nightmarish stuff that goes on behind the scenes in order to make the like the film happen. Like yeah. actors actors don't even watch their own movies. They just care about the making part, you know. And I think that's cool too. Like you know musicians aren't like that. You know they have to. They live it every second. Yeah. So, yeah, now that must be like a skill, you know, for you guys to really master too. Where you know, there's all this noise happening around, you know, the money coming together, the logistics of a production being put together. But then, you know, it all comes down to like that very narrow area where you're just working with the actors on the set. You're with the cinematographer, and you know, you're you finally have the opportunity to be creative without thinking about all those other elements. Well, it's funny because like this used to be my least favorite moment on set and I had to I had to turn it into my favorite moment on set because otherwise you just you, the panic kills you. But there's this great thing where you, you, you go through all the process of the of pitching, you know, say it's a music video. You know, you create this concept and, and you know, maybe they hire you because they think of you as someone who can make visuals that are different or new and and you're selling them on something that maybe you, you, you don't even know whether or not it's going to like work or pull up right and or how long it will take to do the thing that you're talking about and then you show up to set and you're like ready to make it and it's like 6 a.m. and you're in LA and, and it's cold it's <laughs> everywhere LA's cold it's and so you show up and you didn't bring enough like you put a jacket on but you know you're just gonna there's like a guy and he's like and there's, you see all the and there's a guy with a headlamp, and he's, like, smoking a cigarette, and he's slowly taking, like, stands off the truck. And you're like, at what point is this going to become 
like this thing we told them we were gonna be able to do and it's like and every shoot starts that way every shoot starts with the least cinematic most prosaic scene of miserable people in cold moving heavy metal things and and so when you real when you mentally prepare that like every day will start that way every day will start with some element of like when is this going to be suddenly be a movie <laughs> you know it's like it's it's easy to kind of i guess you know carpet car, compartmentalize rather the yeah. uh the experience what was uh, that uh what was that first day like on the trust when you're, you're jumping into your first feature film here you are first day nicholas cage elijah wood did it have that same element that you were talking about before where it just seems like you're about to do the most simple shot and sort of the 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 closure of making this whole film seem so distant i think i thought so yeah i, I think a little bit the, the first the very first day we shot scene um where it's the two of them in the the bar you know where where nick is he's like first trying to get aja on board uh with uh the the drug dealer and in the the place of like the crazy neon and whatnot um and we had done uh, uh rehearsals with just us nick and elijah in like a warehouse space uh the weekend prior um yeah, it was like maybe a day or two before yeah. <laughs> um and they just you know they ran through the entire movie and the dynamic the chemistry between the two of them was so great and so like immediately there and like the way they were bringing their characters to life like that was such a incredibly moving moment for us to to like to hear our dialogue and our scenes, see them come to life uh, in that way. So we were, and we were, and there's an air of uncertainty uh, prior to that, um, just because we've never had our work translated on this scale before. Um, and so, but we were so jazzed coming up out of that those two two days of rehearsal with them. And this scene in particular was like it really. It was the first thing they did. Like you know, Elijah just like arrived in, in Las Vegas, um, and he jumped right in, and and you know, and it just that scene came alive. So I think that you know, it was really exciting that day um, to 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 have that focus of just okay, we're just gonna do this like this. You know, we're just gonna work on this incredible performance that they've already shown us. Also, um, I I think. Um, it, that day was the first day I realized that um, people who bitch about how exhausting shooting, you know, directing a feature film is, are like so full of it. It's not like so. I like after uh, you know, people. I think people who are like, oh my god, like I just finished my movie. I need to go to the go, you know, get a massage. Like I we I could have done three of those back back like easily. Like I felt that the videos like yeah. that is a, that right. those like are the craziest ever attempt whereas movies like for filming performance it's like you're just picking where the camera should go you're making some notes you're trying not to give their the actors are there you know who they are and, and what they bring to the and so you're not trying to confuse things so in a lot of ways you're like directing a film it's like 
I mean, you get that is the addictive thing is that like five years, like you know, cutting your teeth doing these like impossible things where you're creating all the spectacle for like you know peanuts of, of, of you know small budgets. Then when you sit and, and realize that there's so much entertainment to be had with just writing and, and characters and these two great actors, you're like, oh my god, like I never want to go back to anything else. Like I could shoot forever this way, you know? right? And being able to just focus on one scene, getting one scene right, or you know, I think on our movie, the the most we would do, the the busiest day was probably like four different scenes, different like locations and setups. But like on a music video, like you have to tell like this entire story in two days, or you know, and usually with us, like because we're crazy enough that it involves like big visual effects or whatever that you're trying to work out uh, as well. So so it, in turn, like compared to the pace that we were used to working at, like day to day on the film was felt like a lot easier <laughs> it's funny because i always would like look at like you look at like woody allen or something i'm like how i mean uh, it's still impressive but i'm like how the hell is he do how's he directing movies man is is you know in his up in his years like how could he possibly because like our concept of directing is like this like completely backbreaking like physically like like dis- destructive thing whereas like when you actually film them you know shoot a film you're like oh there's like a way to do this that isn't like like i could imagine someone older than you know 28 doing this like it's not it's whereas before i was like no you dropped dead yeah i think clint eastwood is 90 and uh he's already on to the next movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah it keeps you young i guess well clint eastwood also shoots what like eight hours like less than eight hours a day or something he's like He's, he figured it out. That's what I'm trying to say. He was like, look, we do one take. We're done before lunch. Yeah, I was, and, I was looking uh, at your website, and I saw that you, know, you sometimes do storyboards for you know, the music videos. Did that carry over into the trust? Were you drawing out any storyboards or even thinking about coverage? Um, we started very, like, very early on, started doing, the, doing some storyboards, but then... Um, you know, it, it just, the pace of pre-production, um, you know, didn't really allow for, um, also like we, you know, a lot of locations, um, very, very late. Uh, so it's a lot of kind of like, you know, quickly scouting the location, figuring out like the, you know, what the the blocking would be what the camera movie would be, uh, preparing with uh, Sean or DP ahead of time, kind of drawing out the diagrams, um, and then doing it on the day. So there wasn't really, uh, there wasn't, it, the movie, the pace of the movie didn't really allow for uh, storyboards. It was, a, it was a good learning experience, though, because, and this is like, a, I think, a great, um, uh, what's the term, uh, tip I would give to anyone who's about to direct a film, which is that um, if you have your druthers on a film in, in some way, like say your, your, your DP is like a friend who's like really committed, find a way to carve out like a week uh, ahead of everything where you just go with your DP and you just find, you just look for locations wherever you're shooting. Then maybe you like get, you know, a, you pay a location scout for like, a couple days or they give you some links, whatever, like just do something where you can just have stuff to talk about so that then if 
you really want to sit and start properly because everything that happens, whether it's rehearse, blocking, rehe- you know, rehearsing, blocking, all this stuff, you know, if you don't have your location set, like that's, it's just, it's a waste of time. So there's no storyboard that's going to hold up. Um, uh, and we knew that. I mean, that's like that's pretty uh, obvious. Except what we didn't know is that that Lost Bay is the most impossible place to shoot anything but um, casino stuff. In a script with all these locations that in in America you can find generally you know 300 versions of the sort of basic uh, uh, you know locations that we had described and so like our our you know in the normal context of say if we'd shot you know i don't know even like la or somewhere like that you know if you would storyboard you'd be like okay we can like probably generally find what we're spatially talking about here whereas las vegas they're like oh you want to shoot in a you know in a grocery store well here's like you know a a 7-eleven and you're like no don't you have just like a regular like no we don't have anything (laughs) (laughs) regular it's all a nightmare so we end up pushing the shoot a week to find more locations and like we me alex sean porter our dp i think scott kuzio our producer we found like a bunch of locations uh and you know and um it was that was a huge challenge but then but then the other thing that the the one thing i wish we had uh, my last bit on the storyboards is that um it would have been wise for us to storyboard our, we had this one car sequence that we should have storyboarded. Um, but we didn't have enough time to shoot it anyway. So it kind of didn't matter. We should have thrown some storyboards down for that. Um, and then also it almost, I almost think that storyboarding before you've shot a film is, is like, like I think after you shoot a film once, then storyboard your heart to your heart's content. But like that first movie, storyboard the film you've already shot. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but like I think that you can, because like you know we were watching leading up to the film, we were watching like three, sometimes five films a day. You know stuff that we thought was you know we we're and we we're watching it just to see coverage, just to see how the camera works. And you still you will overachieve in your designing of coverage if you haven't just been on a set and 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 experienced actors you know blocking actors for a scene like and sean knew that sean porter was like he was like look just like the way i like to do it is i put the lens on my still camera i take shots while the actors rehearse and then we look at the shots and then we figure out what the best ways that you know how we want to show, show the scene that's how he likes to work and and we ended up doing quite a bit of that um which I, I don't necessarily think we would do on our next film but on this movie it was like it was a nice way to to work oh um, I, I like no working that way is good and but like i think that like in the future i i, I do think it's fine a story where i'd like to do that and i think that that's a good method but i think on that first movie it's like you can't replace just the just what you know you, you'll think too hard about your camera if you haven't just watched actors do their thing and we were thinking way too hard about the camera like right. way too hard because we were just like music video people and i don't know you just tend to do that so um yeah that was uh that was the that's i don't know is there anything else about the storyboards um no yeah well i was curious uh 
Well, I was curious what films you were watching that sort of inspired you, because, you know, from looking at the film, it seems like a lot of, you know, 60s and 70s, you know, crime, uh, you know, American crime films, or even if you go back to like Reefy Fee, which is, uh, you know, from the French New Wave, what, what were some of the films that really inspired you as you were prepping? Definitely uh, Rafifi. Um, that's because that's just the best. Uh, that's the gold standard of a heist movie. Um, and uh, I think, you know, also a lot like The Friends of Eddie Coyle was a yeah. big uh, influence. Um, French Connection, like, you know, we're big William Friedkin fans. And, um, that, you know, early on, those were the, the, the big influences. The uh, Sweet Smell of Success. Um, Right, for that kind of character dynamic. Um, yeah, I mean, we also... Thief, Michael Mann's Thief. Yeah, we were watching some things to get, like, to get uh, ideas for coverage, too. Um, I, I think that there was, like, All the President's Men, um, you know... Yeah, that kind of two-hander process-driven... Um, you know, we wanted... To, we want to, to have the, the drive kind of be this mystery that they're uncovering. So, um, so that was a big, uh, big reference point for us, um, as opposed to this sort of, you know, the kind of like, you know, r- rather than having this conflict introduced early on that the characters are fighting against, you know, we want to lean on the mystery of uncovering this opportunity and like putting the pieces together and then conflict arises out of that. And then with characters like John Hugh, like, um, the African queen, that was like a big one. Like, Oh yeah, um, (laughs) definitely. We, uh, uh, that was a, that, yeah, that helped us. Um, you know, cause the, we saw the Nicholas Cage's character as being very similar to Catherine uh, Catherine Hepburn's character. And, and then, you know, kind of the, the role, like the, the arc of Humphrey Bogart's character in that film, you know, you can see traces of that in Elijah. Elijah's character yeah. arc as well. <laughs> our, our movie is like... It's a our, remake of the African Queen. Queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That movie's a masterpiece, and so and ours isn't, but it's, uh, you know, that... Uh, so the, But also just, like, looking at what the camera does, like, I, I mean, we tried to do some stuff that we believe in in terms of telling a story visually. So, like, there's this, a scene at the beginning of... Um, of the film where uh, Nick is trying to convince his captain to green light or pay for green light. I'm using the Hollywood terms here. Uh, he's, try, he's trying to convince him to, to earmark money for a mobile crime unit. And so the shots, it's a steady cam shot. It starts with them and he's like pitching this whole thing. And then by the time the captain stops and says, "Look, we're not do- we're not paying for this. We're not going to handle this," um, the they've countered with the Steadicam, and they're on different sides of the screen. Um, and so if you watch it, you just think like, "Oh, the Steadicam guy kind of backed up and then let them pass." But like it was carefully designed so that you like see this momentum of like Nick like pitching, be like, "It's going to be like this. It's going to be like that." And then when they stop, they've swapped sides, and that was borrowed directly from. I want to say Marathon Man, but I think it wasn't Marathon Man. It was, but there was there was a similar scene where it's just this like this two this two shot, you know, walking down a long hall, 
uh, uh, outside, actually, uh, walking outside, and it was a character trying to convince the other character, and for some reason I can't picture him, but Roy Scheider was in the scene. I, I'm blanking, but <laughs> so that's why I think it was Marathon Man. But at any rate, the, the director blocked it so that they would switch sides of the screen right when he, like, fully, you know, they fully put the stop on the momentum. So, like, you know, we were, we're big believers in the idea of, like, turning the sound off and being able to understand kind of what's going on, um, and so we were trying to borrow those sort of formal techniques, um, you know, and even watching something like, uh, the earrings of Madame D, the, um, right. Max Ophel's movie, just yeah. like some of these people who were like became famous for how they moved their camera right. and how they designed coverage. Um, so those, that's kind of, I mean, it was all over the map, but like each one kind of had its own weird reason why. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, we wanted the, the blocking to dictate the camera moves and we didn't want to rely on, on being so cutty and, and you're know, trying to figure out in the editing room, we, we tried to, you know, uh, block and choreograph our, our shots, um, you know, as carefully as we could. Oh, there's also a movie, Bob Le Flambeur. Yep, which we actually kind of ripped off. Well, there's a scene in well, there's a scene in that where they kind they they map out the they're going to rob a casino, and they map out like the layout of I think the basement on a giant football field, um, and they did it with like with paint, you know, painting lines on a giant football field, and we thought like, oh, that that would be that'd be funny if it was one person taping out this entire diagram, like you know who who did who painted that, like how long did that take and. And that kind of became the, the inspiration for the rooftop uh, scene where Elijah has the layout of the apartment taped out. Yeah, so I guess we didn't, we didn't rip it off. Not completely. It's an homage. It's an homage. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. Uh, I heard you guys in another interview talk about how, uh, I mean, Las Vegas really wasn't, you know, your the, what you had in mind when you were working on the script, that it sort of came about because, I guess, Nicolas Cage lives in Las Vegas and sort of likes yeah. to bring film production out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that like everything, everything that we were intending with our first draft of the film, like, I guess what what you start to realize is that there's you can have filmmakers who you wish you were, but then at some point you have to figure out the filmmaker that you actually are, you know, and I think that like. And maybe it's just coming from music videos where, like, where, where you know, aesthetic is so, uh, or in commercials where, like, aesthetic is, like, all anybody kind of favors. Um, but you start to see that certain kinds of directors or certain kinds of um, film filmmaking genres, whether it's your, like, David Fincher's or your Terrence Malick's or your, you know, Harmony Corinne, some of these people... Like, to me, those kinds of directors are so brilliant. Or, like, um, uh, Michael Haneke. You know, these these guys are brilliant at what they do, but I think that they allow for a lot of up-and-coming directors to get lost in sort of a certain level of insecurity, where it's like you just become obsessed with look and, and aesthetic and wanting to be taken seriously and making, like, a serious movie. So, like, when we first were writing our script, I think... We thought, oh, we'll set it in Boston because we grew up outside of Boston, and that, and we'll know great locations to go to, and they'll have this grit to them. And and I think our initial pitch for it was like, oh, we want to make a movie that's like Primer, that Shane Carruth movie Primer, except about a heist. So it's like you're looking at these like two very 
kind of serious nerdy guys who are planning like a very technical but very realistic heist. So that's kind of where we started. And now in retrospect, it's like, oh, that's all exterior stuff. That's all, that's all, that's nothing interior. That's nothing character. That's nothing like, that's not saying anything. That's just sort of like the idea of like what your fantasy is about the kind of movies that you make as a feature film maker. And so Las Vegas now for me represents that, that growth period of being like, because, like, if you're not shooting a movie in Las Vegas about casinos, like, it is the hardest thing to make look cool on Earth. Like, it's just, like, it's it's just not a place that has style. They Anything that has style, they rip down. Anything that's like, oh, that's, like, a cool, old, classy, whatever, like, yeah, we're, we're demolishing it. we got to get a, a Dave and Buster's in here immediately. <laughs> like, it's just not... Is not a hip town, in, except for the kind of, you know, except for if you were trying to do, like, a... A gambling-centric film, uh, and even then, it's it's a challenge now to try to to capture what people like Scorsese and yeah. so forth did. Um, and so that's what I think of when I think of Vegas. Is I think the like awakening to being like, be like, don't try to be filmmakers that, or or try to ape filmmakers that you will make will will protect your sense of being like a serious director like like just find truth like just find honesty and characters and what makes you you know get excited and i think it was a nice challenge too of, of sort of of having to film in a location that wasn't exactly what we thought of initially because then you sort of open yourself up and, and and look at what the material you have and try to find what's cinematic about it, what hasn't been seen uh, before about trying to like kind of dig a little deeper. Um, you know, and I, I think that was a, that was actually a very helpful uh, thing for us on this film. Yeah. Well, I know um, uh, Jerry Lewis is also another person who actually lives in Las Vegas. And I was curious, you know, Jerry Lewis must do, you know, one film a decade, uh, <laughs> if that. So how did it even come about to even uh, consider having Jerry Lewis be in the film? We had a second lunch with Nick, and he said uh, he was like he's like I always wanted to I've always wanted to have Jerry Lewis play my father in a film because we were talking about you know his character's uh, home life and all that, and uh, and you know and he's friends with with Jerry um, and and Nick kind of you know actually kind of set set that up um, and and yeah we just thought, we, we thought like. Well, that is like an incredible opportunity to have him uh, in our movie. You know, how can you really? How can you pass that up? Yeah. Um, and it, and you know, and it worked for the. Uh, you know, I th I think it worked for uh, Nick's character. You know, in, in a in a almost meta kind of way. Yeah, it is one of those casting decisions that you, um, you know, it is it is like. I mean, I can't believe that we've met Jerry Lewis. Like, that's like an insane thing. Like, I didn't think we'd. If you if you grabbed me, you know, even a couple of years ago, we're like, like yeah, you're gonna like have lunch and then shoot Jerry Lewis. I'd be like, what? Really? <laughs> Are you kidding me? So, and I think that I don't know. Like, I I I'm sure it's like, I'm sure it's endlessly distracting. <laughs> like, but at the same time, like. 
I know a, a scene with Nicolas Cage and Jerry Lewis must be committed to film. Yeah, like, that's kind just, of what I think. Too. Um, and I think it, it helps you think of that character because you know it's it's a weird way of foreshadowing it because you can't help but think of Jerry Lewis as Jerry Lewis, um, especially because he so rarely appears. And I think for younger audiences, obviously, they don't even know who he is. Uh, so it's not like, so, I, so that's just like, oh, you know, that's the guy playing his dad. And then everyone else, it kind of gives us like weird, you know, who knows of his career, which is most people. But, you know, it gives you that weird foreshadowing of like, what does it mean that Jerry Lewis is playing this guy's dad? I thought this guy was just kind of like a, you know, a straight-laced guy. Uh, it adds a little bit of oddness at the very beginning to sort of help, I think, you see where it, where that guy might be going. Right. It's not yeah. quite, he's not quite what you expect. I think it's always, uh, uh, yeah. I was going to say, I think it's always interesting, you know, how an actor can really bring something to the character that is sort of, um, you know, not always apparent on a page when you're reading a screenplay that, you know, sort of an actor's history, iconography you know, really sets the tone for the audience of who this person could possibly be. It's funny, I like, we, we just saw that movie Get Out, um, which is great um, and really worth it. And I think Alex and I have both become like these obsessive casters now, like, because like, I think once you go through that process of casting a film and thinking about, you know, and I think arguably people would look at our, the cast of our movie and be like, you put Jerry Lewis and, like, Sky Ferreira in the same, like, what the frig is going on? <laughs> you know, so, like, I think, like, like if you just looked at that, you'd be like, these guys are obsessed with casting? Okay. Um, but, um, but no, you, like, you think really hard about what you want to say and what, and, and what the audience, where, how, you know, how you won't, how you can keep the audience involved. So, yeah, we saw that movie Get Out, and it's really great, and, um, and Alex was like, and Catherine Keener's in it, and she plays this, you know, uh, menacing uh, character. Um, and Alex, and she's good, she's fine, you know, Catherine Keener's awesome, but, like, Alex is like, that should have been Meryl Streep. That would have been the, and, like, and he was right. Like, it would have been, like, a, the perfect... It's a real controversial statement. No, no, but, like... Meryl Streep for any part. <laughs> no, I know, but in this case, it was, like, it was, like, it would have been, like, so, such the... For, and, and this is why I bring it up is just because Meryl Streep has done everything under the sun. Like she's, 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 you know, that's what she's known for is that she's like an incredible actress who has like done a ton of work. Oh, we're still, uh, oh, sorry. Um, and, um, and, and at any rate, so like, so the idea of like coming up with a great casting idea for someone like that is like that's what makes you be like oh that's awesome so, so Nicolas Cage is a similar thing where like where like he has done a ton of work and he's played a ton of characters so coming up with an idea of what to do with him suddenly feels like oh my god we're like we're earning our keep here that we're like figuring out because I think it's like it's much easier to, to conceive of someone who is um, you know uh, works infrequently or like you know or or um uh, is just coming up like you can kind of like uh, you don't have this sense of culturally where they stand but like if you can come up with a casting idea for people that are like so cemented in the culture it, it feels really exciting or like we just read some script recently and Alex was like Tom Hanks and I'm like yes you know, it's like, <laughs> and you're like why would I 
freak out about like like obviously Tom Hanks is like in everything, but like you know, is in all big movies. But like so like I don't know, maybe I'm not making sense, but like I just think that like if you can find good roles for people who have played a ton of characters, yeah. it's like you get so stoked, you know. Right. I was curious, um, you know, how has the experience and the trust really shaped you guys on projects that you want to, you know, work on next? And if maybe you could even share if there's another feature film that you guys are developing. Yeah, well, we're writing a new script that's almost done that um, is is not a, a crime thing or a, a genre thing. It's it's um, Yeah, we kind of wanted to do something that was, you know, that moved in almost the opposite direction as the, I mean, it's still, it's still like, it's still a comedy, dark comedy, but, um, but just in terms of the subject matter, just, you know, try to do something really, really different. And, um, and I think the big takeaway on the trust and, and I, and it's something that I tend to see sometimes in screenplays where like, we'll get sent scripts and you'll read it and you, and you, you, sometimes I wonder like, Oh, have you, has this writer watched a movie shoot? Because, and obviously this is like something that like we did when, you know, when you write a script that you're going to shoot in 24 days and it's got like 40 locations or something, you know, you know, you suddenly like, Oh, maybe I, maybe there's something to learn here about, you know, how to parse out, you know, a film in terms of scenes and not in terms of this, like kind of like rolling series of, uh, you know, moments. Uh, and so that's mainly the takeaway from the trust, I think, is that we're trying to write material now with our new script where it's all about, it's all about the actors. It's not like, it's about creating a script where when it comes to financing it and putting a schedule together, it, it is designed so that we're not jumping from location to location to location and like, and, and, and asking actors to piecemeal their emotional moments. Um, like recently uh, I saw an interview with Michael Shannon where he talked about how the best experience he had on a movie was working on Sidney Lumet's last film, the, um, before the devil knows you're dead. Cause he had like a pretty small supporting role in it. And he's like, but we rehearsed it like a play. You know, which obviously Lumet famously did is he like would rehearse his movies for like two weeks before they shot. And he's like, so I was just it was the first time I was ever able to like actually get there and know where I fit into the puzzle. He said, because, you know, usually you're, you're like just as you're about to just as you're you know feeling it on camera, someone comes up and touches, you know, comes up to you and touches up your makeup and you're not in it anymore. So our new project, like we're, we're trying to like take a big page out of that sort of like Lamette handbook and be like, is there a way to, and in a response cost effective responsible way, put together an indie film that is like completely, uh, uh, allowing for a great performance to happen. Um, so that's, that's kind of the focus now is just figuring out like a, a, how to distill things so that it can just be about two people, you know? Yeah, and, and I think we learned that from working with Nick and Elijah, that, like, the, the performance is everything, and the characters are everything, um, and your film, sh your, your story should uh, really accommodate that uh, as best as possible. Yeah. It's, an, it, it's an interesting thing, too, that, like... It, it, well, what's interesting to me is, the, is how... Um, 
is how the written, the writing and performance is something that like does not lose its luster. Like everything else, like everything else has its moment of, of, of being impressive, you know, whether it's like a certain way of shooting or a visual effect or even a certain type of story, you know, like all those things, but they, it's like ephemeral. It just kind of like people move on and they need something else. And it seems, you know, dated, but the one thing that like never loses its anything is just people, you know, speaking, you know, words and telling stories. Like for some reason, like you, you, you still stand a chance at like keeping someone's attention and uh and so and i think that's great because that means that you can you know make movies for very little which they need to be made for very little you know 90 percent of them but still you know uh, uh compete like like that you know moonlight winning is like so great like i mean could you ever see a better thing like you literally have one movie that is like an all singing all dancing like are you entertained god damn it <laughs> with and big movie stars movies, like, and three yeah. people talking <laughs> Yeah, for a million dollars, for a million bucks. <laughs> and that was great about Moonlight too, is that it, you know it didn't have you know big major movie stars in it. You know you were looking at uh, you know real people you know inhabiting these roles. You know great actors who had established careers, but you know they weren't you know you know front of the line names that you know you would recognize. Yeah, yeah, and, and in the case of like Naomi Harris, like you know she was unrecognizable. Like, yeah, they just they disappeared into their characters. Yeah, and um, and also I think that that's a film that uh, this is the other thing that we're trying to do with our new movie is like is realize that like people and th- and this is something that all artists should do and maybe it's something that kind of got uh, perverted by how lucrative films were for the longest time you know through the '90s and all that like I mean movies made a lot of money and so you could. But like I think now, since it's since get since turning a profit with a film and, and getting people's attention and getting and, and getting people's time, which is now completely um, uh, divided among all kinds of different uh, platforms of, of entertainment. You know, if you're really gonna like ask for somebody's eyeballs for 90 minutes, like you have to make sure that you are like expressing something that has a universal truth, that has a that has a a a a the potential for like a true catharsis, you know. And so, like, I think that Moonlight uh, is a great example of a film that has a very specific story uh, that you are you you are um, gaining a perspective that wasn't previously given that you know uh, uh voice that that level of whatever but also at the same time you know you're doing it through universal things that we can all somewhere deep down like relate to uh in terms of that the journey of that person like i think that there's that story is about growing up and i think that 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 um you know so that's what we're trying to do with our work now is just make sure that like we're not coming out the second time, you know, you know, we want to come out with something that's like, like entertaining, like, uh, uh, incredibly entertaining, but we don't, we want to make sure that we're not coming out with something that is like, could ever be considered like a waste of your time, you know? And, um, and, uh, I guess that's like, seems like the most basic thing to say about why you make a movie. The but simplest things are often the hardest yeah, to achieve. I think, yeah, definitely. <laughs>